Dove Men Plus Care. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last. Game on. Weeknights from 6. On 2FM. Well, a big thanks to the two Johnnies for driving us into the weekend. It is Friday, December 1st. I'm Shane Dawson and you are listening to an extended Game On with you all the way until 10pm. On tonight's soccer special menu, we will bring you live commentary of Ireland's sold-out Women's Nations League clash with Hungary at Tallis Stadium. Alan Colley will provide expert analysis as well as having his say in the weekend's Premier League action in the company of Fergal Brennan. Tony O'Donoghue will also be joining the conversation and as always of a Friday, Jane Mangan previews the weekend's racing highlights both at home and in England. And as an added bonus, we've got Jeff Shepard to bring us up to date with all the latest NFL stories and Neil Tracy will have live updates from Musgrave Park where Munster take on Glasgow in the URC. Action packed as always and as always if you want to have your say you can text us on 51552 with any questions or opinions. Game on on 2FM. Yes, hello there. Good evening. Alan Colley is in studio, but I'm hoping that we can cross live to Tony O'Donoghue, who's at Tallis Stadium. Tony, I know you're on TV duty. You're one of the hardest working men in media. What is it like in (laughs) Tallis Stadium? I say it's cold out there. It's cold, I'd imagine. It's it's Baltic, you know. I envy you now having a lovely, warm studio because uh, we're sat here by the in between the two dugouts, and uh, it's it's not too bad at the moment actually. But you can imagine how cold it's going to get this evening. And uh, yeah, nonetheless, we're here. It's a it's a sold out game. Uh, just reflecting the popularity of this uh, Irish women's team. They really are uh, a very popular team, and I think the Irish nation has taken them to their hearts. So uh, it's been a great start for them as well in the campaign. Four wins. Uh, they've beaten. Hungary, of course, already away from home by four goals to nil. Uh, they beat Northern Ireland 3-0 in the Aviva Stadium. Uh, they also did uh, the double over Albania. So this is a team where we've got, become excited to see because there's goals in them, that's for sure. Kira Carusa, Katie McCabe, Denise O'Sullivan. Uh, so, yeah, we're really looking forward to this one. But Hungary are a decent side despite the uh, the 4-0 scoreline in the, the opposite encounter. And uh, they could present some challenges this evening present some challenges but we would expect a near complete performance wouldn't we Tony or is that asking too much well you know I mean there is a sense of perhaps that we have to guard against complacency because we've won the group we've uh, got promotion uh, from out of our group in the Nations League uh, so no matter how much you you know Eileen Gleeson will be telling her players that we want to you know sco- keep scoring goals keep creating opportunities you know it's, it's almost human nature it's almost inevitable that you know that the pressure will maybe just come off a little bit um, but I do have a team for you so I can let you know the first 11 for uh, Ireland this yeah. evening Cody Brosnan continues in goal of course and uh, then we have three centre halves Caitlin Hayes who's also scored she's been a fine addition uh, Louise Quinn and Megan Connolly the wing backs Heather Payne and Izzy Atkinson a midfield of Tyler Toland uh, Rusha Littlejohn uh, Denise O'Sullivan and Kira Carusa and Katie McCabe the captain uh, and Katie has you know I think she's in the form of her life at the moment both for club and country so uh, that's a decent team uh, which should hopefully add to Eileen Gleeson's uh, unbeaten record as interim Republic of Ireland manager no matter how many times she's been asked uh, she says she doesn't want the job it's, uh, she's going to go back to being director of uh, women's football for the FAI a very important role in itself of course and from what I'm hearing we may be uh, about to get uh, news of a, a new women's manager certainly this side of Christmas we are in the Christmas running now it's December already so yeah expect uh, Santa Claus to bring one if not two managers to the FAI before Christmas <laughs> who knows is Eileen getting a bit frustrated I saw one of the quotes um, I think at yesterday's press conference uh, one of the journalists asked uh, are you 100% out of the running for the job permanently and I think she replied with I'm 100% not answering that because it's kind of getting a bit tiresome in, in terms of answering the same question but it's understandable that these questions are being asked like do you think that is a, a bit of a frustration for Eileen trying to prepare for this match well I think yeah frustration is, is a good way of putting it because she is asked the question I think journalists are trying to ask the question in, in various ways that they haven't asked it before perhaps in a way to try and uh, trip her up uh, she did say that was a new way of asking the question but she then added I see my future with this team I'll always be part of this team I love this team and Ireland and Irish football I don't think anyone can doubt that but you know th- that does 
tend towards a bit of ambiguity. She loves this team. She'll always be part of this team. You know, would she want to be part of this team to become permanent manager? That's that's why the questions keep coming back because the answers are are, are a little bit. Um, I suppose you could say they're they're contradictory. I know you've been covering this in detail, Tony. So is it? Is surprising to you that a decision hasn't already been made considering job done as qualification for league A is already secured in this Nations League? I think it's about process as far as the FEI are concerned. Uh, you know, they had a longer list of candidates, they've whittled it down, uh, there were interviews. Um, so we, we don't know yet if the, if the dots have been uh, added, the T's crossed, uh, and contracts signed. So, you know, there's a process, it, it, it has to be gone through. Uh, and it's parents, so I think that's what they're about. Um, and, but certainly, as I say, I believe that we'll we'll have news of a of a new manager this side of Christmas. Okay, Tony, I'll let you go. Concentrate on your um, your TV duties. One bit of information for you, just in case you weren't aware. The last time we played Hungary in a competitive fixture, the women's team. Do you know where it was, Tony? Yeah. Uh, in Hungary? No, no, at home, at <laughs> in home. Budapest? No, in Tolka Park, Tony. In oh. Tolka Park. Tolka Park, of course. <laughs> Sorry, I might rephrase that in Ireland. It had to be. Yeah. <laughs> you can use that yeah. one. You can have that one for free. <laughs> Tony O'Tony, listen, thank you very much All right. uh, for dialing in. Uh, there's live match coverage on RT2 television. Tony will be chatting to Eileen Gleeson uh, in due course. Um, Alan Colley, you've been waiting patiently there because I know Tony was a bit, uh, under a bit of time pressure. So we have team news um, earlier than expected, perhaps. Uh, so Brosnan in goal, Caitlin Hayes, uh, Louise Quinn, Megan Connolly, three centre-halves, Heather Payne, Izzy Atkinson, in wing backs, uh, Tyler Toland, Risha Little, John Denise O'Sullivan uh, in the midfield, and perhaps Katie McKay playing off Kira Caruso. Yeah, strongest team, Shane. Um, and there's no sense, I, I know Tony was there saying you just have to be wary of complacency. There's certainly no sense in, in the team that she's picked anyway uh, that they're taking Hungary for granted or mm. taking them lightly in any way whatsoever or maybe giving some other players an opportunity. That's the strongest team that she could play. Megan Conley will drop out of the midfield back in to the back three where she played in the World Cup. Not ideal for her. Megan wants to play in that centre midfield area. But I suppose the fact that Ruisha Littlejohn is back in that adds a lot of strength to that midfield area alongside uh, Tyler Toland and obviously Denise just ahead of them as well so that's a strong midfield three and as you say giving Katie the freedom to roam mm. around we've seen her a lot more central in this campaign throughout the Nations League since the World Cup and it's where everybody wants to see her Tony mentioned the fact that she's in the form of her life I would echo that as well she's been absolutely fantastic uh, not just for her country but what she's doing at a very high level with Arsenal as well has been absolutely fantastic so a strong team Shane and I know you said we should be expecting a win. I would agree with you. We should be mm. expecting a victory tonight. The teams we've seen so far in this campaign are not really all that, to be fair. Uh, and I suppose we're on an upward trajectory in terms of where we want to be and what we want to get to and the teams that we want to be competing against. And the teams that we have in this group, obviously Hungary, Albania, Northern Ireland, are teams that we would be looking to leave in our wake as we look onwards mm. and upwards. Absolutely. Two players who might have a big say in how this evening goes is uh, Kira Caruso, or should, I should say our Kira Caruso, and Denise O'Sullivan. We can hear from them now. I feel like that energy is contagious and it catches on quite quickly, especially amongst a squad that is as tight as we are and is um, on the same page as we are. As a striker myself, when the goals start going in, it just like becomes so fluid. And the most exciting thing for me is that, yes, I'm putting balls in the back of the net, but we have a, many other people on the team doing it as well. And you can see that many facets of our team and kind of how dangerous we can be from every angle. It's not just like one, like Ilo said, it's not just set pieces, it's not just one player, it's not just one action that a team has to like watch out for us or like has to take note of. It's it's many people in the f field making a difference and being out there and being able to put the ball in the back of the net. So for me, that's really exciting. But I also think that's a testament to how we're training and that confidence we have and that ability for us to lift each other up. Because if not one of us puts the ball in the back of the net, but the other one, it I mean, it's only good things. And it's like inevitable for the next person to, to be scoring the next goal. So I love to see that. I'm excited. I like to see all those names on the, on the score sheet. What do you think, if you sum up the campaign so far, um, you know, with, with the four from four, what do you think has, has changed, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, a lot has changed. Obviously, the, uh, all the coaching staff coming in, I think everyone's been absolutely excellent. Um, as you said, there's a lot of younger players coming in now, so there's a great mix in the squad. And I think, um, yeah, we're playing pretty much a new, a new style. We're trying new things every, every camp, and um, that has changed. But for us, we'll just go out and we'll try. As I said, we're growing as a team, and we want to keep continuing to do that. Um, 
because we, we will be facing higher opposition at some stage and um, we have tough games coming up so um, these last two games we'll be looking for six points. Does that excite you as a player coming into to a camp like this? Yeah, I mean, I think every time I come into a camp regardless, it's always an honour to put on the Irish shirt. Um, I always give it 100% and coming into this camp I played with some of these girls for over 10 years and it's, it's always exciting coming back in so um, yeah it's, it's great meeting new people as well one day come in but um, yeah it's, we're in a good position. The year is, is drawing to a close, we're almost into December, this campaign is, is almost at an end. It's been an incredible year hasn't it really, highs, lows, a, a bit of a roller coaster. Yeah it has of course, um, obviously the World Cup. Um, amazing to be there but it was also tough losing out and um, getting further in the group but yeah it's been a fantastic year we've had a lot of positives and I think um, coming to the end it's, it's very important that we do go out on a high and, and we keep building on that confidence. A little bit of uncertainty though as we do look ahead because obviously Eileen is interim and she has sort of repeatedly said she's not interested in the job full-time would you, would you like to twist her arm or what do you see happening in the coming weeks and months? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm a player and I do the work on the pitch. That's my job and I'm fully focused on that. But um, I think it's up to the FAI to, to pick who they want to have as coach and, and we'll, all, we'll all back that and we'll all support that as well. And what about your own game? Are you, are you happy? Yeah, I am. Um, but for me, I'm very competitive and I know there's always room to, to grow. So keep scoring goals is, uh, is my aim. Keep assisting and just doing the work. I, as I said, it's an honour to put on the green shirt. I absolutely love doing it and um, yeah, I'll just keep giving it my all. That was Nisa Sullivan and Kira Caruso speaking to Gorty Sports uh, Claire McNamara um, during the week. A lot of talk, Alan, is about obviously Katie McCabe and Denise as well, but I want to talk about Kira Caruso because she has been bang in form and the new style perhaps is suiting her playing under Eileen Gleeson perhaps than, more so than, than what she was like under, under Vera Powell. Yeah, I think the opposition is suiting her as well, Shane. That's true. And it's I can't. All, everything's all relative. <laughs> no, and, yeah, and I can't get away from that fact. And I don't want to be disrespectful to Caruso. You're right in what you say in the sense that the team has evolved a little bit since the World Cup, and you have got Katie higher up the pitch than Nice. So we are creating more chances, which is obviously leading to more chances for Caruso. And she has scored. She's got on the end of things and looked very dangerous throughout the Nations League campaign. It was the complete opposite, obviously, in the World Cup because she was at times up there on her own. We were penned in against better teams. It was was very difficult to get any opportunities and it was almost like she was in she was so isolated at times and, and a tireless worker throughout mm. um, and she's a brilliant attitude she did all those things as well and held the ball up at times in those games but I think for her and all strikers are judged on, her, on their goals for her I'm sure she's absolutely delighted with the way things have been going in recent weeks that we've played against teams where we have the lion's share of possession we dominate the ball we're looking to create the chances and she obviously is going to be the one on the end of things so She's banging confidence. Uh, she'll want to continue the little run tonight. I think she has four goals in the last four games as yeah. well. So she's uh, on a bit on a little bit of a hot streak at the moment. She'll want to continue that. And in these two games as well, Shane, as I say, we will dominate the ball. She will get chances. Um, and that's all you want as a striker. You speak to any striker in the world, all they want is chances to score goals because that's what they feed off. They don't want to be doing the tireless work, running into the channels and holding balls up and big centre halves, kicking lumps out of them. So um, she'll be delighted with the way things are going at the moment. Um, final one on this because we will be previewing the match in detail um, after 7 o'clock uh, as we continue our build-up. We're with you all the way till 10 o'clock this evening. Are you surprised with how strong the starting eleven is given qualification is sorted and it's about, I suppose, trying to develop the team a bit more? Uh, no, I think to be fair, and, and this comes back to the point you were chatting to Tony about uh, the managerial vacancy at the moment. Mm. I think Eileen Gleeson is very much in the mood that she wants this job Shane and I think she's going out there tonight obviously with the strongest team to put out a statement performance get a victory and more or less say here I am you have a manager staring right in front of you so I know people are suggesting that at the start she certainly didn't want it from what I've been listening to in the press conferences over the last number of weeks since she stepped into the breach I think she has completely changed her, her view in terms of how she um, wants to progress with t this team. I know she has the role in the background, which is more of, um, I suppose, it's a lot more solid in terms of security for her going forward because managerial jobs are very kind of uh, perilous positions, as we know, and she'd become... Un become a lot more scrutinised if she was to take over the manager's job and who's to say whether it, it worked out or whether it didn't she might lose the job six months a year two years into, into it or whatever and that's her security gone but I think when you're in that position she's getting a taste of what it could be like she obviously works very well with the girls. Uh, the little bit of a backroom team that she's brought in as well, um, I think have worked very well with her. So I think at the moment she's very much 
thinking I want this job Is the problem for the FAI that they might think she hasn't been tested enough 100% even though I'm saying she wants the job I don't think she's going to get the job (laughs) (laughs) because I think you can't give her the job off the back of these four games against weak opposition and they've been very weak let's be honest now she might argue again tonight a strong team as I'm saying and that's why I think she's picked a strong team if they were to go out and put five or six on Hungary then she'd be saying well look I can't do much more than what I'm doing mm. here in terms of creating chances and scoring goals and that's what she wanted but I just think from the FEI standpoint Eileen is fine at the moment standing in for these four or five games and there's not much at stake let's say, there is a lot at stake but I don't think there's too much um, I suppose of a danger of that potentially losing these games and it turning into a bit of a disaster I never felt that was going to be the case so I think she's a safe pair of hands at the moment but it's a whole different ball game if you're giving someone a permanent job and I just don't think they see her as that I might be wrong but I think the conversation that has has obviously taken place over the last number of weeks with a press conference Mm. and stuff and you're saying she's kind of getting fed up and frustrated with the questions I think she wants the job will be interesting to Mm. see um, how it does transpire as Tony mentioned there we might have white smoke before Christmas who knows both in the men's uh, national team and the women's national team but uh, we are going to continue our build up uh, to kick off in Tallis Stadium as I mentioned they're hoping for another victory played in once before Alan I promise it's the last time I'm going to mention it last time I'm going to mention it 2007 a 2-1 win over Hungary in a Euro 2009 qualifier in the humble surrounds of Tulka Park we're taking a quick break then we're chatting Premier League with Alan and Fergal <laughs> 2FM Game on on 2FM Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care Upgrade to Dove Men 72 hour advanced deodorant Tough on sweat, not on skin Now you're very welcome back to Game On uh, Alan Colley, I must tip my hat to you Now I, I did mention before the break but last time I mentioned Ireland against Hungary and Tulka Park However, the team that started that day you mentioned, that could have been Katie Taylor playing and lo and behold she did indeed. So Emma Byrne was in goal. Neve Fahey, who's only recently been yeah. in the in uh, the Ireland team. Susan Byrne, Alicia Moran, Sharon Boyle, Elaine O'Connor, Mary Curtin, friend of the show, good Treaty United woman. Uh, Kira Grant, who's been in uh, the Irish team not too long ago as well, over with Hearts at the moment, I think. Uh, Stephanie Curtis, Olivia O'Toole and Katie Taylor. Wow. Now there's a forward line. That's oh, unbelievable. That is... Because all the old photos you see of Katie when she played for Ireland mm. were in Tolka Park. Her first goal for Ireland. So that just made Tolka. me think that she there's a good chance she might have been around back then playing. So Do you know what? What has she ever done since? She's a tailor. <laughs> a t- yeah. <laughs> hasn't, her career, her sporting career hasn't gone too badly. She scored in that goal. It's all coming out. There this you go. Look. Breaking news as I read it on uh, the RT archives. Noel King was the Irish manager. They came from one down. Pandra scored for Hungary in the 38th minute before Katie Taylor equalised in the 42nd minute just before half time to make it one all and then Byrne Susan Byrne from St John's University in New York scored the crucial winner there you go the last time Ireland played Hungary um, Fergal, yeah legend Fergal Brennan joins us Fergal what you make of that Katie Taylor Talca Park <laughs> get your thoughts on that <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm agreeing with this idea of what she ever done since then. No one's ever heard of her after that. She just vanished off into oblivion. I think it's apt now that the trilogy might be in Crow Park, a stone's throw from Crow Park. <laughs> Who knows? Um, okay, let's chat uh, Premier League. We will, of course, have Ireland Hungary coming up uh, after seven o'clock. John Kenny and uh, Sue Ronan are on commentary uh, for that one. Uh, big weekend in the English Premier League. Where to start? Where to start? Let's work our way backwards so Sunday at half four Manchester City versus Tottenham Fergal Brennan I come to you first can or will Ange Postacoglu's luck change with the challenge of City uh, in short answer you'd have to go for no and that's not being unfair on Spurs or, or, or Postacoglu based on the start of the season um, you would say that they'd be in with a shout but things have changed dramatically in the last few weeks and it's Obviously, the injuries is an enormous aspect of that, but they've lost three on the run, um, and the mood music mood music has has changed quite a bit because I still think Tottenham are within a shout of, of pushing for the top four. I think we've seen a revived Tottenham certainly since Postecoglou's come in. What he's done with them, I think, he's moving them in the right direction, but the thinness or the, or the lack of depth in that squad means that they need their best probably 15 16 players available for 30 plus games 
in the Premier League season. And at the moment, that probably isn't going to be the case. And and that's what's happening. Um, and, and I also think that the way that he plays, which I agree with him, the idea that he he's worked the entirety of the summer creating this system of play, this high defensive line. He This idea that in training in the last week or so that he can suddenly go in and say, right, forget everything I've been telling you for the last four or five months. We're doing this now because we need to get through three games. He can't. He, he can tweak it and he can look to protect certain areas of the pitch. But realistically, he, he doesn't have much to work with in terms of overhauling what he could do um, against Manchester City. And I, I just think it's a case of they need to get as many of those players back as quickly as possible um, because City will be licking their lips with this Tottenham high line, there's the potential for four fullbacks being played across the back line. Um, Harlan, Silva, Foden, Doku. It, it could be a bloodbath, uh, or, or City could power down and, and could just be a bit more straightforward for them. Is this the worst fixture for Ange coming off the back of two difficult matches now? Yeah, three. Shane three, sorry, three yeah. Defeats, so, um, it is. And as Fergal said, it, it's, it disappoints me so much because we had so much hope and optimism about Spurs. Now, it's um, only a little blip. No, no co- but it's not so much. That, I don't mind that they lose a couple of matches. That's fine. You can live with that. It's the fact that they've lost all the players. That's the mm. killer for them, Shane. And obviously, you go back to that Chelsea match, you lose Madison, Romero, Van de Ven, and he's been a revelation. Like, people will all focus on the likes of Madison, Romero. Van de Ven is a massive loss as well. Benton is back from injury. He gets injured last weekend as well. So Fergal even mentioned about having your best 15-16 for most of the games. They just need their best 11. And obviously they don't have that at the moment. And that's what's killing them in those games. Um, and you're going to Man City. Now I was disappointed with Man City against Liverpool. They were there for the taking last week. I thought Liverpool actually probably should have got the victory if they really went for it in the, in the second half. Um, even though Man City controlled the game for large spells. But they never really hurt. Like they never really created any clear-cut chances it was a strange kind of a game that seemed to be just drifting along and the longer it was going on I always felt Liverpool were going to get an equaliser and potentially go on to win the game as well um, and it was mad game in the sense that Doku everybody's talking about was amazing and playing brilliant and normally I think well if the outside left was outstanding he must have given the right full tar of time mm. he did but Trent who we all focus on is so good going forward was absolutely brilliant in what he was doing going forward so it was strange and that's the dynamic in the game now that's so so strange in the sense that it's almost who's the bravest in terms of we leave some players free but we want to um, go forward ourselves in terms of I I watched a game recently with PSG and AC Milan and it was something similar Hakimi not a care in the world about defending all he wanted to do was go forward despite the fact that Rafael Leao one of the most dangerous players in Europe was who he was marking so that's just the dynamic and the way the game has evolved a little bit but I'm gone way off point there sorry Shane but defenders I think, don't want to defend anymore <laughs> I just think with Man City um, I just don't think they're hitting the heights that people I, I know they've won the games but I think you look at Arsenal at the moment hanging in there got the huge result last week uh, scoring late on against Brentford and the longer it goes on where Arsenal are just hanging in and hanging in like that they're going to click into gear at some point as mm. well Arsenal um, so I'd, even though I think Man City will win at the weekend I don't think they're going to run away with this like people are suggesting OK that is half four on Sunday we're working our way backwards so two o'clock on Sunday Liverpool versus Fulham Fergal Brennan there seems to be a genuine belief from Jurgen Klopp in Queeving Keller or Queeve as Jurgen refers to him as it does um, and, and Klopp loves him and, and Klopp is, is particularly in his press conferences uh, and when he and he when he's in there when he's in a bit more of a relaxed mood Kelleher's one of those players that he loves talking about and he loves praising and he loves talking about him as a person as well as a footballer and how he is around the place and how everybody at the club loves him and he, and he does and he genuinely has worked very hard to ensure that this is the right thing for his development and this is the right place for him to be. And, and I've always agreed with that. Sometimes this argument of, I'll get yourself out on loan, go and play in the Championship, go and play in League One, that does work in some situations, but I don't think that was the right thing for Kelleher in the past because he's working for me in behind the best goalkeeper in the world. He's working with one of the best managers in the world and he will and he was getting more game time than a lot of number twos. However, the, the cold reality of the situation is it is unchanged for him so he's starting this weekend because Alisson is injured um, two to three weeks that he'll be out for this will be the first time I think ever that he's played back-to-back Premier League games assuming that he carries on in goal after the Fulham match the last Premier League start he had he let in four on the final game of last season it was a dead rubber against Southampton Liverpool had missed out on top four and Southampton were down I really 
don't want to sound kind of negative, but I, I just think it the situation is what it is. Kelleher is a very professional, very talented goalkeeper. He'll come in and he'll he'll do fine. He'll be absolutely fine for Liverpool in the next couple of weeks. But then Alisson will come back and the roles will be reversed. Liverpool will utilise him in the Europa League. They might even potentially go all the way to the final. And that would be a big one for him in, in, in Dublin if they go all the way. But his position is is unchanged. And, and I don't think Klopp for a second is being insincere about this. He genuinely thinks Kelleher is the player that he's talking about. Alisson is the issue. And now Liverpool fans will be saying it's a, it's a handy issue to have. But that is the issue. And, and that just doesn't change Kelleher's situation at Liverpool, unfortunately. Yeah, and now some of, of just to expand on some of Jurgen Klopp's quotes, um, Alan, uh, that he said nobody wanted Ali to get injured, but if these things happen, that you need the strongest possible option. That's Queef for us. That's the only positive about it, to be honest, that we can put put in Queef. Now he gets an opportunity that he deserves, and hopefully he can show his full potential. What is Queef and Geller's full potential? Like it's not knocking Allison off top spot anyway. Um. I think his full potential is being the Liverpool number one. Now, whether that means knocking Alisson off the spot, I mm. don't know, but it might be Liverpool's number one when Alisson moves on. But okay. I do think that's his full potential. I think he's that good, Shane. He wouldn't be there up until this point if he wasn't. Klopp wouldn't have that much faith in him as he does and wouldn't express those feelings about him unless he felt really strongly about, about the lad. And I was with Fergal as well all the way up, and I still am. Why would you be leaving Liverpool? If you leave Liverpool, it's game time. But I know you're getting it. You're getting this game time now by default. Yeah, but but he's getting game time he's for getting, two for two weeks. But but who who's to say it might not be three or four weeks? Allison was Allison was probably the worst game I've ever seen him play last week against Man City. He was dreadful. Uh, the one where the goal got disallowed, he was at fault for that. The pass where he played out, he was at fault. The goal that Man City scored initially, a poor kick out. So he was very, very poor. Now that's not to say he's a, he's a bad goalkeeper. He's a brilliant goalkeeper. We know that. But if Kelleher comes in and and has four clean sheets and plays unbelievable, does he does he keep the number one jersey? Well, I think that's the way it should work. And I think and I think and it might work like that. Um, but I wouldn't be leaving, honestly, Shane. If you leave Liverpool, there's only one place you're going, and that's down. And I know I, he's 25 now. People say, yeah, he needs to get out and play more regular. But you're still at arguably one of the biggest in the world, mm. as all for all the reasons Fergal said in terms of the coaching you're getting, the players you're playing with day in day out, the goalkeeper you're working with, and these are his opportunities. And sometimes he just has to step up and take it. Maybe it's at the stage now, Shane, where. All along, he was looked at as a young keeper, as backup. He's 25 now, so now he's a man. Um, it might be a case of like Ramsdale and Raya fighting it out. He might get to the stage now where Keller says, do really well in these four or five games, then go to Klopp with a stronger argument in your back pocket and be able to say, no, I'm ready to be the number one and I want to challenge him to be the number one now. We've always kind of viewed him as a young keeper trying to make his way and when Alisson moves on, he might get his chance then. Whereas now we might be in a position to say, no, I am the man, I'm the number one. Alisson was, was rubbish last week. I've kept four clean sheets. I want to be the number one. And then if Klopp turns around, and I'm sure they've had these conversations, but I think if your argument is a lot stronger off the back of four or five really good performances and he goes in and knocks on the door and says look what I'm, I'm giving you and Klopp says no matter what you give me he's still going to be number one then you might think about leaving Speaking of goalkeepers Manchester United <laughs> are away to Newcastle on Saturday night of course Manchester United having the second best goalkeeper in the league according to Ayrton Hag <laughs> and according to uh, statistics but I think the big point that people are missing there going on that judgement is he's referring to uh, Kaminsky the Luton goalkeeper as the best in the league <laughs> statistically Statistic. statistically oh my it's it's a tough one to call, perhaps, or am I being a bit generous to Manchester United on, on, on this one, Alan? How do you see it playing out? <laughs> Ten Hag, look, they'll come up with all sorts of ways to back up their argument. He, he's he been his signing and he's let him down, basically. Look at the performance during the week. It was but, dreadful. But he has, like I know we're joking about statistically, he's done well in the league. I know there's he, been howlers in, in two games glaring matches I suppose in the Champions League that some people say has have cost doing well in the league for me is that you're playing well every week and you have the odd blip there's been far too many blips Shane far too many and especially when you're paying the kind of money that you're paying and fair enough people might say well it took them maybe it might take you a little bit of time to adjust but that's the position where you have you, you don't get time to adjust you have to be especially when you're paying that money mm. you're getting rid of the hair 
he made a big play on that Ten Hag he always made out that De Gea wasn't for him in terms of the way they want to play out and Anna was going to come in not only was he going to play out the way the way he um, wanted them in terms of the build up play from the back and he was obviously going to start that off as well but the most important thing is that you're saving the ball now there is an argument to be made as well that what's in front of him hasn't helped him and I certainly agree with that also I think the chopping and changing of the back four how fragile they are defensively I think they've conceded is it 33 goals or something ridiculous um, you look at the goals they're conceding in the Champions League as well so I don't think it's all on him but when you're making the kind of mistakes that the likes of ZH free kick in during the week and you're dropping that and it goes in when you're making those kind of mistakes then you kind of have to and when they're happening far too frequently then the, the finger has to be pointed towards you I just don't think he's done well enough at all Right, I'm going to play the union card we're moving away from the goalkeeper conversation <laughs> Fergal Brandon these are two teams that have to contend with a hell of a lot of injuries they do and I think that will that will define the game in a lot of senses I think it's double figures for both of them in terms of players that will be missing uh, Newcastle probably having to name the same starting 11 for three games in a row um, which will mean 17 year old Lewis Miley be his third 90 minutes um, in, in just over a week which is is tough going um, but I think Newcastle on the whole have dealt with the injury issues much better than United and much better than a lot of other teams um, obviously they got the win last weekend against Chelsea they were seconds away from probably the biggest result in arguably their history. Um, I think back to the Barcelona Champions League game in 1999, I think it was. But if they'd beaten PSG away in midweek, it would have been enormous. Obviously, they didn't. And VAR, et cetera, et cetera, on the back of that. Um, and, and I just think Eddie Howe, in the way that he approaches these things, is much better at saying to a group of players, listen, batten down the hatches. We know where we are in terms of the injuries. The players will start to come back slowly. Just get through this game. And if you can win it, we can win it. And they've been brilliant at St. James's Park as well so far this season. That's a huge factor in this. Um, they've lost once. They've won six. United's, weirdly, their away form's actually been quite good. I think they've won three um, of their away games. But I, I don't see Ten Hag having that same ability I'm not saying that he's better or worse manager than Eddie Howe, but I don't think he's got as much of a grip on that United squad to say, this is what we need to do on Saturday night. Whereas I think the mantra at Newcastle is, whatever Eddie Howe wants us to do, we do. Now, that might not be the case in future as they progress and look to become the team and the club that they want to be. But right now, I think that is. And, and I, I think it'd be a really exciting game because of the kind of lack of control when there's so many players that are missing. Um, but I just think the power of St. James's and the fact that Newcastle have got a better ability to be resilient than the Manchester United. It's a great point Fergal makes about dealing with the injury issues far better than what United have. And the reason I think they have is because they have a structure and a shape about them, Shane. And everybody knows the role and they have an identity in Newcastle and how to play and how aggressive they are pressing in the energy, the work work ethic as well of that team. Whereas with Man United, it's individuals. There's no patterns of play. They've, they, they lack identity. It's basically down to a moment of magic from whether it's Bruno or you see what Garnacho last week. Um, and everything is off the cuff. And that's why I think Newcastle beat them on Saturday night they played really well during the weekend's PSG despite the fact that they had to suffer a lot and Pope pulled off a great couple of uh, saves but they were robbed in the end they should have got the victory and when you think of the injuries that mm. they have as well uh, 17 year old playing in midfield Miley looks a really good talent I think Eddie Howe has done an unbelievable job at Newcastle and I think they'll beat United Saturday night Will we see one of the Premier League breakout stars of, of the season? Young Alex I thought he might have come on the other night, but uh, the fact that he's in and in there and thereabouts, yeah. uh, it's great to see. No, he, it is. He's, yeah. And he's probably there and thereabouts because of the injuries, mm. but I did flag it up. You did. You did. Miley's made his, made his impact, <laughs> young Miley, so who knows? Uh, we, we wish Alex Murphy all the, all, all the best with um, the season ahead. Um, Fergal, you've been covering Everton of course they're away to Forest uh, tomorrow evening what's the latest they are officially appealing the, the points deduction I'm right in saying yeah that's correct so the, the update has come uh, in the last 24 hours we, we knew this was coming it was just a case of it being formalised so they've appealed to the Premier League's judicial panel against the 10 point uh, penalty that was handed down so the the kind of gap here is that the Premier League initially when the charges were brought forward they referred it on to an independent commission they are the ones that came back with the findings and then obviously the Premier League issued the 10 points deduction Everton's stance hasn't really changed um, since that's come forward they're shocked disappointed frustrated by the severity of the of the punishment that's been handed down Premier League I think are very very keen to ensure that not that it's done quickly but that it's done 
whereby it doesn't affect the final standings of this season. So as it is right now, they've said a decision will be made in 2024, not a specific date, but it's been confirmed that it will be wrapped up before the end of the season because this is very important in relation to teams that are considering um, moves against Everton that have been relegated when Everton have survived. Leicester, Southampton, Leeds, Burnley, I know obviously are back now, but they're involved in that group of clubs that are considering legal action as well, which could result in more issues for Everton Football Club. The Premier League don't want a situation where in April or May, this is still swirling around and no one knows whether Everton are going to shoot up the table and not have to worry about relegation or they could potentially be hit with more points uh, being dropped. Um, And also, obviously, coming further down the line, we have Manchester City. Um, That situation hasn't changed. There was a couple of reports this week that uh, the Premier League will start the case in autumn 2024, but that's not been confirmed yet. The Premier League want to make sure that each individual case, they get a clear run at. They don't want the Everton case to be unresolved when they finally open the book on uh, on Manchester City. Okay, 51552 is the text number. Get the fiddle out for Eddie. Luton and Sheffield United are missing players, but I don't hear their managers complaining about it. Tell Eddie, get on or get out. I like that. Get the fiddle out. That's a good saying. Um, Alan, uh, we don't have much time. Is it not a violin rather than a fiddle? That's much more much. We're, we're a sports show, not a music show, just because we're on 2FM. <laughs> yeah, I never did music in my career. Um, Will Chelsea be outmaneuvered by De Zerbi's Brighton, perhaps? Uh, but I want to talk about Arsenal. Can Arsenal replicate their midweek European performance at home to Wolves tomorrow, Alan yes. Colley? Yes. Yeah, and I, I watch Wolves during the week as well, and O'Neill, he must be tearing his hair out because you look at the VAR decisions as well that have gone against him, not just in that game, but it's happened now three or four times, and he's doing a fine job. Uh, I'm really impressed with Gary O'Neill. Every time he speaks, even after the match, he, sp- he spoke with so much dignity, and he, I if I was him, I would have been ready to just let rip on everybody and anyone um, but he didn't he remained very very calm and spoke really really well um, but I think against Arsenal I'd have to fancy Arsenal as I said Havertz scoring the goal last week is huge that could kickstart him he scored again then in Europe mm. and he was just crying out for a moment like that a big moment because it hasn't happened yet since he went there Rice has been brilliant as we know so there's been this adjustment period if you like Shane but the key thing for me during this adjustment period is they've still remained at the top and then the went top obviously last week off the back of Man City and Liverpool drawn so that is massive for them I still don't think they've hit anywhere near the heights of um, last season and I think they're going to click into gear and have a real strong push at, at, at this league they'll obviously fancy their chances as well they've the best defensive record in the league they've only conceded 10 goals as well uh, I know they've scored a few less than, than the other top teams and that's maybe a question mark over them in terms of an out and out number 9 that might get 20 goals 25 goals and they might invest in January um, but I definitely think you look at the players that they have and the quality around that pitch and I, I tipped them at the start but I just think they're just slowly but surely getting into their gear and it's. It, I think they'll beat Wolves at the weekend OK uh, we're going to finish the conversation at Turf Moor um, just a mention for the Basque derby between Bournemouth's Adoni Iriolo, Iriolas and uh, Aston Villa and Unai Emery but uh, relegation six pointer at Turf Moor something must give uh, Burnley have not won at home in the Premier League all season or taken a single point while Sheffield United have not won away whoever loses this match might that be the end of their spell as manager of their respective club Fergal? I think so uh, we, we normally get to, to this stage and at least one manager has been sacked within the season and it's been it's been in the post for, uh, for Heckenbottom and for company I, I think strangely company is actually in the weaker position despite the fact that there was so much positivity around him getting them up from the championship the football that they played and obviously the the profile that he has and the profile that he brought to, to Burnley Football Club Paul Hakenbottom doesn't have that but I think there's a bit more of a narrative around this idea that um, companies very live by the sword die by the sword kind of in terms of his tactics and, and Burnley have been really poor and I think there's been tiny little bits with Sheffield United where they are willing to just go, we'll put everyone behind the ball and if we get something, we get something. Whereas with Burnley, you don't really know what's going on. They're still trying to press a bit more than they're actually able to. Um, The home record is normally a big thing for teams that come up and particularly for Burnley. You think back to under Sean Dyche, it was, quote, a difficult place to go. Not always for the really big teams, but for the mid-table teams and for the teams that were scrapping against relegation, they they would normally get the points they needed. They've been terrible at home. Um, 
And I think I think even if they don't win, I think it could be the end for for company, regardless of his contract extension, because the Premier League's a, a very ruthless beast and the ownership will be looking at it and saying, We need to protect our interests, we need to give ourselves the best opportunity of staying up. Um and, and that could be it. I don't necessarily think Paul Heckenbottom Heckenbottom will last much longer. Um I think the prowl land to bring in Chris Wilder has been kind of shelved. So that's maybe given him a bit of breathing space. But if I was betting on it, I'd say company will go first and it could be this weekend or, or next week. So naive, Shane. Mm. It amazes me, really. I watched the documentary, uh, the little thing they brought out after it got promoted, thought it was brilliant. Obviously, they, they basically bullied everybody in the championship and won at a canter. And I was so expectant of a really good Burnley team coming up and giving a good account to themselves and, and maybe establishing themselves in the division. But he just hasn't changed. No. And you looked, they've conceded 22 goals. And, and at some point, you have to adapt to your surroundings and obviously you're you're playing against much better players you're getting punished for every mistake he's still adamant he wants to play like he played in the championship and it's it's crazy it's absolutely crazy because as Fergal says he's going to lose his job because of it absolutely potentially lots of narratives this weekend in the Premier League Fergal Brennan thank you as always pleasure chatting we'll ch- chat to you next week Alan you're sticking around but we're going to chat horse racing in two minutes time RTE 2FM Game on on 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men 72-hour advanced deodorant. Tough on sweat, not on skin. Now, Jane Mangan joins me, as is tradition of a Friday. And there is so much racing to look forward to this weekend, particularly at Ferry House. But news today, just to be aware, there will be an inspection tomorrow morning with low temperatures expected overnight. A statement from the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board said due to the forecast of low temperatures overnight there will be an inspection at 7.30am tomorrow morning at Ferry House ahead of the fixture as scheduled to take place. The track is currently fit for racing and the ground is soft so hopefully we will have some action over the weekend because the RT cameras are there on Sunday as is Jane Mangan so hopefully we will have some racing. We're going to begin our chat uh, on Sunday's race card. Three grade ones. First up the Royal Bond Novice Hurdle at 25 past one. Rachel Blackmore rides on Tubber for Henry de Bromhead. I see Fasile Mode, Farron Glorious on the card. Lots of big names, Jane. Yeah, we've got four races on our coverage on Sunday, Shane, and three of them are grade ones. That's that's not really a day's work, is it? <laughs> uh, the, the, the race we start off with, as you know, is the, is the Royal Bond, and it's actually attracting quite a good field. There's eight, de- eight declared, three of them from Gordon Elliott's, but it's actually quite refreshing of the three grade ones we have on on, a, on the coverage two of the favourites are, are saddled by Gavin Cromwell you mentioned Untubber he's had one run on the track he's won a point to point and he was very impressive when he won a, a maiden hurdle at Fairy House but this is straight into grade one company is that a big ask? I think it is in Canto Bruno in contrast he's had a quite a bit of experience he won a point to point he's had three runs and bumpers winning twice and he won tw- tw- two of his three runs over hurdles as well uh, I, th- I was quite impressed with him in a novice race at Cheltenham last time and given his experience he might just have the edge um, of the Gordon Elliott trifecta I, I-, I like Farron Glory Jack Kennedy obviously likes him too because he's picked him but uh, Gordon's won this three times Willie Mullins has won at nine he pal- saddles a pair of runners but I actually don't fancy either which is something I don't say very often on this show. No, so we're not really highlighting Willie Mullins in that race. However, the race that goes to post at 2pm, the Grade 1, Drinmore Novice Chase. Five runners, uh, the Irish national winner, I am Maximus, and also Sharjah among them, for Willie Mullins. Yeah, um, so I am Maximus, uh, our listeners will be familiar with his name because, of course, he won the Irish Grand National uh, last April. Uh, that was one of the best rides of the year, I thought, from Paul Townend. But Paul Townend will be aboard Sharjah on this occasion. He's the horse that won six grade ones over hurdles, four maths and hurdles with Patrick Mullins aboard. He was second to Honeysuckle in a champion hurdle and he's 10 rising 11 now. And they've gone chasing with him. He's two from two in that discipline. He was very good at Tipperary. Uh, he was good in his beginner's chase at Galway. He seems to have taken to it very well. If he does, his rating over hurdles, if it translates over fences, sees him nearly winning this race. Um, there's a couple of less exposed horses than him in it, like found a 50. He's only ran once over fences, but he had a big reputation as a novice hurdler. Uh, that was for Gordon Elliott. Uh, Gordon's won this race seven times. He's a very good record. And he's one of the good horses. He's one of the likes of Delta Work on Violin and last year 
with Mighty Potter. Of course, probably the best horse to win it with was Don Cossack back in 2013. But Gavin Cromwell, we mentioned him about the Royal Bond. He's also got, let's be clear about it in this race. Keith Donahue, he's really molded with Gavin's horses this year. Sean Flanagan was aboard this guy when he won at Cork and he won with Consumate Ease. Keith is aboard him this occasion. And I think that type of ride suits this horse because it gets him to relax and into a rhythm. I think if he gets into a jumping rhythm, let's be clear about it, might just give the big guns a, a real fright. Okay, the grade ones continue on RT television with Jane and the gang. 2.35 on Sunday, Hatton's Grace Hurdle. Uh, Tiupu beat Classical Dream and the great Honeysuckle to reign supreme last year. And Gordon Elliott is back for more glory, but he will certainly have his work cut out. Yeah, he was the Grinch last year when we were all, you know, hoping Honeysuckle might create history by becoming the fo- the first horse to ever win four Hatton's Grace Hurdles. But of course... She only finished third, Classical Dream finished second, and Tehupo outstayed the pair of them on what was really, really heavy ground. Uh, he's a horse who's still quite young. He's six, rising seven. He loves Fairy House. He's won three of his four starts there, and the other time he's got beaten, he actually finished second. Um, and he looks like he's nearly as good a staying hurdler as was around last season. He was third in the stairs hurdle at Cheltenham behind Sarah de Burley. He was fourth at the Punchestown race in... in, in um, classical dreams company but he he's a very good stayer and can only i'd imagine only get better this year but he has to come up against Empere pass so they're two very different profile horses to has done it an open company he's been to cheltenham and nearly won Empire pass in contrast is the star novice from last year who's four from four unbeaten for willie mullins um he was awesome in the ballymore where he beat gaelic warrior and then he came to punchstown and he won by eight lengths beating high definition so he's a horse we have not seen the 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 limit of yet so we're going to find out just how good he is and if he's going to be good enough to a drop back to two miles and take on a constitution hill and state man or b if he's a horse that needs to stay at this trip and further then throw in the likes of buddy one for the gilligan family that's a great story zana here will keep them honest as he always does and Willie Mullins throws in the mayor Ashro Diamond as well. But um, Willie Mullins has won this three times. Interestingly, he hasn't won it since 2015. In contrast, Gordon has won it four times, but of course, three of those was with uh, was with the mighty Apples Jades. So the Hatton's Grace is always a highlight. To Hoopo won it last year. And you know what? He'll go close to winning it again. Okay, will be interesting come Sunday. There the three grade ones uh, live on the box on Sunday. Tomorrow, though, we hope to have racing once uh, Fairy House does pass that uh, inspection at half seven in the morning. I think the big money race tomorrow's the handicap chase at 2 p.m., Jane? Yeah, there's 13 runners declared for that. Uh, JP McManus is a pair of them with Fighting Fit and uh, Rosie's Hollow. Rosie's Hollow wouldn't be without her chance. I actually quite like the idea of Solness, Joseph O'Brien, and Connor Stone Walsh, the guy who was riding winners in the flat all season, he switched his codes to jumping and now he's going to fences. Let's see if he can ride his first winner over fences in uh, at such a big track and on such a big weekend. The top weight is dancing in my own last year's Aintree winner for Henry de Bromhead. He used to give a lot of weight away all round. But uh, it's uh, it's an interesting race and it's one I'm not really going to get involved in because it looks wide open. Okay, sitting on the fence for that one. Um, so we hope to have racing at Ferry House. There won't be racing at Newcastle. That's been abandoned due to snow. Nicky Henderson will have to make alternative plans for Constitution Hill and Shishkin uh, following the abandonment abandonment of Saturday's high-profile fixture while raising the possibility of the fighting fifth being rescheduled. The Seven Barrows handler would be happy to head straight into the Christmas hurdle at Kempton on St. Stephen's Day with Constitution Hill. What is causing Henderson great uh, concern is how best to prepare Shishkin for an intended tilt at the King George Chase on the same Kempton card. Would you share, Nicky? Henderson's concerns in that regard Jane yeah look I, I know it's just a spanner in the works really because Shishkin didn't run a race last week because he didn't start due to run a, way, a race this weekend in, in, in the north of England racing has been called off interestingly both Constitution Hill and Shishkin are currently in the north of England and they're not travelling home tonight because basically the conditions are, are so cold and it's just they felt it would be the wrong thing to do so they're after an overnight journey for no reason, which will really annoy the trainer because they're after losing a day's training. Um, and I'm just thinking if, I hope that uh, Constitution Hill will run in the rescheduled uh, Fighting Fifth, which is due to be rescheduled in a couple of days' time in Sandown. If he doesn't run there, 
then he goes straight to Christmas and then he goes straight to March. That could enhance the possibility. I, I'm, I'm completely reaching here now, but it could enhance the possibility of him coming to Punchestown because they're hardly only going to run him twice or three times mm. in a season, are they? No. Come on. Re- reach, reach. On that's, that's... We'd love to see him here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Get him to Punchestown. We'll, we'll start a campaign. Regardless of the fighting fifth, come to Punchestown. We'd love to see you. It would. It would be absolutely brilliant. Come here, Jane. Let us end our chat on the big money race at Newbury tomorrow. The Coral Gold Cup handicap uh, chase, formerly known, of course, as the Hennessy Gold Cup. Uh, there's an Irish train favourite. There, well, there was. Oh. There was. The odds have changed. Very recently, I think up to an hour ago, um, John McConnell's Mahler Mission was was eight, was 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 favoured, but now he's been usurped at the top of the market by the John Joe O'Neill trained, the John Joe O'Neill Junior ridden Mon Big Genius. He's currently gone favourite now for the what was formerly and traditionally always known as the Hennessy. The Coral Gold Cup handicap chase is now what it's known as, and it's a real stamina test, three and a quarter miles and a big field of twenty runners. A complete unknown for uh, Paul Nichols and Harry Cobden is in. Joint second favourite with Mahler Mission. People might remember Mahler Mission was running a huge race in the um, in the, the National Hunt Chase last year when he came down to out Gallard Menil went on to win the race. Well, he was quite good in his seasonal reappearance and um, it looks like this has been a plan of John McConnell's. I think he's really suited by the conditions of the race. There's also a Gavin Cromwell trained runner in Stumptown Danny Mullins would have had options to ride at Fairy House. He's gone over to take the ride on Stumptown because he's a very lightweight, only 10 stone two. To put that into context, the top weight's going to have to give him almost two stone. Stumptown, on these conditions, he stays very well. He was well beaten in the Kerry National last time, but he'll he'll be suited by these conditions. Ahoy Senor is the aforementioned top weight. He's the class act, but God knows he can be a little bit silly at his fences. Uh, any, if any horse is going to give away top weight and win, it's him. But I just couldn't trust him. So, the Coral Gold Cup is the is the feature at the weekend in the UK, which is a pity because I was really looking forward to seeing Constitution Hill. As was I. As was I. That is unfortunate. But hopefully there is racing at Ferry House. Listen, Jane Mangan, thank you very much. Very much, I should say. As I mentioned, Jane Mangan and all of the racing uh, team will be on air Sunday at Ferry House. Lots to look forward to. Lots to look forward to here on Game On. We are with you all the way until 10 o'clock. Alan Colley will be providing expert analysis. We have live commentary of Ireland versus Hungary in a sold-out Tallis Stadium. And we'll also get some Munster Rugby updates from Neil Tracy. He's at Musgrave Park for the URC clash against Glasgow uh, as well. So lots more to come here on Game On. Stick with us throughout the night. RTE 2FM Game On on 2FM Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care Upgrade to Dove Men 72 hour advanced deodorant Tough on sweat, not on skin now, it is time to chat US sport and NFL in particular because Jeff Shepard joins us on the line, usually with us on a Thursday, but we said we changed it up this week. Something a bit different. Shep, you're joining us on a Friday. How the hell are you? Oh, I'm just great, Shane. How are you doing today, sir? I'm good. I'm good. I'm all the better for chatting to you. Um, come here, let's just dive straight in. Um, as I mentioned there, uh, lots of NFL stories to get through. Let us begin with... Uh, Dak Prescott leading the Dallas Cowboys to victory over the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, so last night they had the Thursday night game. And look, Shane, Dallas has just been kind of bulldozing their competition for the last four or five weeks. I think they won five straight games going into last night by 20 points or more. And right off the bat, they go down the field and score a touchdown. You're thinking, okay, they're at home. Here comes another blowout. But Geno Smith and the Seahawks just went round for round with Dallas through the whole game. It wound up being a six-point win, but it's an important one for Dallas. They moved to 9-3. and three. More importantly, they play the Philadelphia Eagles, who we're going to talk about in a moment, next week. And so that's, you know, they're really trying to position themselves for an NFC East showdown and, you know, potentially a, a, champion, a division championship and moving into the, you know, top one or two seeds if possible. But, but Dak Prescott has just been phenomenal here the last four or five, six weeks. Their offense is humming. He hooked up with C.P. Lamb last night for another touchdown. He he threw three in total. And their defense, which has been stellar, really didn't play well last night, but the offense was able to overcome it. Okay, okay. So that was how last night panned out. Let's look ahead to Sunday night in what some are calling the game of the year. San Francisco are at Philadelphia. Yeah, so, you know, the 49ers at one point in the season looked like the best team in football and then kind of struggled with some injuries and, and Brock Purdy wasn't playing too well. But they bounced back the last couple of weeks and, have, and looked great. 
They're traveling all the way across the country to take on the Philadelphia Eagles. And this is how good people are thinking that Niners are right now. They're favored. They're like a one and a half or two point favorite in Philadelphia. And the Eagles are 10 and one. This is only, I think the third time ever that a team is 10 and one and playing at home and is an underdog. So that should tell you kind of what folks are thinking about San Francisco. And the reason Shane is, is really the Eagles have had, you know, they played a lot closer games, um, but the, this is the end of a three game stretch where the Eagles have gone on Monday night to Kansas city and played the chiefs and won. And then last Sunday they played the Buffalo bills and look, Buffalo was having a disappointing season, but the Eagles wound up getting that game into overtime on a cold, rainy night, and they wound up winning that football game, and now they get to San Francisco 49ers. So you think, you know, can they do it three weeks in a row? They've played tight football games, and I think folks are just thinking that San Francisco is going to come, and, and their offense is just kind of rolling right now. And, and look for George Kittle, the tight end, to have a big game. The Eagles have a hard time defending the tight end. But this is – these two teams played in the NFC Championship game last year. This is a potential NFC Championship game preview for this year for a game we might see in another month, you know, to see who goes to the Super Bowl. So, yeah, definitely, you know, game of the year potential going into this one. People are asking, can they do it three weeks in a row? How do you feel it will go? I think it's going to be a tight one. I, I, I don't see anybody blowing anyone out. I mean, these teams are just too good. Um, I, I think the Eagles are going to struggle early on, um, maybe to score some points. And it's just, can San Francisco kind of just hold on? I, I think San Francisco wins this game maybe by like five to seven points. Again, I don't think anyone blows anybody out here, um, but I, I definitely will be watching this one on Sunday. Okay, well, one news headline that I'll be watching closely that I can hardly <laughs> believe it, to be honest with you. Aaron right. Rodgers... Right. Back in training or practice, as you call it over there, 11 weeks after monumental injury. I mean, what is going on? So, yeah, so he was hurt on the third play of the season, right? On Monday Night Football, he he does something to his Achilles. And and here he is, again, 11 weeks afterwards, he's back on the field. Now, look, he's saying he thinks he can come back in late December. Now, Shane, he said he'll only do this if the Jets – are still alive in the playoff race. And I'm just going to be honest with you. If the Jets are still alive in the playoff race in late December without him, why would they need him? I, I mean, because he's not going to be able to move and be as mobile. I, I, at least I don't think he will be. I, again, granted, this would be the most miraculous recovery we've ever seen in the world of sports for a, you know a, a nearly 40-year-old quarterback to do something to his Achilles and then come back in the same season. So, Robert Sala, the Jets coach, has just been very laid back and did like, look, we're just taking this day to day. We will see if he's available at some point this season. I don't really think they want to play him if they don't have to, to potentially risk further damage and maybe something happens where he can't play next year. Um, but it's still just in general, Shane, you know, your astonishment is completely warranted that you know, less than three months after having this major injury, he'd be back on the playing field. It's kind of unfathomable. Yeah, it's wild. I have no idea how he is back at practice. So that was a news headline that caught my eye. We're going to finish with a news headline. A bit quirky, I suppose we could call it, Shep. The NFL is suspending a photographer that covers the Miami Dolphins because he gave his cell phone to a player. Yeah, so he, so Tyreek Hill scored a touchdown against the Jets last week, and um, he uh, asked this photographer for his phone and he took the phone and he did a backflip and he recorded himself doing it. And so part of the suspension chain is like, you know, okay, are you participating in the celebration? But really afterwards, he kind of, the photographer kind of jumped up and celebrated with Hill. <laughs> and it turns out they actually, you know, they kind of know each other and they've worked together for years. And one of the really cool things is, is that Tyreek Hill said he's going to cover the guy's, salary for what he would have made, you know, the rest of the season for however many games the Dolphins would have played. Because, I mean, I think Hill feels bad that this has happened. But, you know, it, it is just an interesting story. Look, creative celebrations in the NFL, you know, all guys are always trying to one-up each other. And, you know, you've had cell phone use before, most famously with the guy that played for the Saints named Joe Horn. And, you know, you've had – uh, marriage proposals to, you know, members of the dance team and folks jumping up in the stands and 
you know, you rock the ball to sleep like it's a baby. I mean, there's just all these different ways you can go with them. Guys are trying to get creative each week. This was a very creative way for Tyreek Hill to, you know, to celebrate a touchdown last week. But unfortunately, you know, it's going to cost a guy a couple of weeks salary here. So uh, you never want to see that. But, uh, you know, commend Tyreek Hill for stepping up and, you know, paying the guys wages for the rest of the year. Absolutely, and I'm sure Tariq Hill isn't short of a few, Bob. But is it a bit harsh on the NFL suspending them? Well, look, you have to look at it from their perspective, as always. You know, when you're ma- no one wants to root for management, you know, right? Yeah. But you know, you have to kind of look at it that way. As you know, they, that could open up a whole other can of worms if you're getting guys. And look, he's a photographer; he's supposed to be neutral. He's not supposed to be involved. And I think they're just kind of looking out from a, you know that perspective. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. It does drive me mad when I see members of the media fanboying over players, regardless of the sport. But however, right. listen, that's Jeff right. Shepard, pleasure as always. Gentlemen, great chatting. Appreciate it, Shane. Thanks, buddy. Game on. Eye on America. RCE. 2FM. 2FM. 2FM.